Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This is where I unpack the most creative and talented people in the world, where I unpack their brain, the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. And my guest today is the one and only adventure photographer extraordinaire, Chris Burkhardt. Now, I have had the great privilege of knowing Chris for darn near a decade now, and to watch his career blossom and transform has been one of the great joys. Obviously, my background as a photographer plays into that, but the ideas and the stories behind photographs that you've seen all over the world, I know you've seen Chris's work, it is very powerful, and he unpacks a lot of this stuff in his new book called Wayward, which we cover in depth in the show today. More important than the material in particular is Chris's view on life and his ability to share the ideas around pursuing your dreams, living the dreams, and what it takes to have the courage to go for it. It's a very, very important episode. If you are a creator or you want to become one in your lifetime, Chris's story is absolutely invaluable. So whether you're here for the adventure, the photography, or the stories around pursuing your dreams, this episode is for you. I'm going to get out of the way. And again, enjoy yours truly in conversation with Chris Burkhardt. Hey, before we get into the show, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Creative Live. Creative Live is the best online platform for creative entrepreneur and freelance learning, hands down. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, a Creative Life subscription includes access to more than 2,000 classes in art, photography, filmmaking, design, business, entrepreneurship, and more. And those classes are taught by the world's top experts, people who have won Pulitzer Prizes, people who have won Grammys, Oscars, uh, Emmys, you name it. It's where the best and the best go to teach. Now, since day one, Creative Live has always been committed to streaming content for free for those who can't afford the subscription that gives you access to all 2,000 classes. So in 2021, Creative Live doubled down and launched a free program for, for those who could not afford it. That free program is called Back to Biz, and that helps specifically small businesses, entrepreneurs, and freelancers come back from economic challenges presented over the past two years of the pandemic. That free content is available if you want to check that out at creativelive.com slash back to biz. That's B-A-C-K-T-O-B-I-Z, creativelive.com slash back to biz. So check it out and let's get back into the show. Mr. Chris Burkhardt, welcome back to the show for your second appearance. Thanks for being here, bud. Honored to be here, my man, and uh, it's always a pleasure. It's always good to find time to connect with you, and I feel like we are always, uh, you know, <laughs> keeping tabs on one another on the social sphere. But, um, but yeah, I, I really am sad that I'm not in person there because honestly, last time we chatted um, at the studio was just incredible. It was so cool to be, you know, to have that interaction and 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 play off each other a little bit. And yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. So. Oh man, happy to be it. And I got to get the first uh, tour of your new van at the time. The gangster adventure mobile that you have. That thing's incredible. It's pretty um, rad. You know, right. Sadly, uh, I've since sold it. Oh no! Was a, yeah, it was the year for um, kind of, I think, shaking and moving. And, and dude, people were just yeah. looking to travel, you know, around the state. And I was like, well, I'm never going to get a better price for this thing. So I sold my sprinter, got rid of it. Kind of, kind of sad, but you know, had to, had to be done. 
Oh man, that's buy low, sell high. That's peak investment strategy there. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, obviously I'm, um, a big fan of your work. Wanted to have you on the show for a handful of reasons, not the least of which is a new book that I'm very excited to talk about wayward. Congratulations. It's stunning and beautiful. Uh, but, and, and as a veteran of the show, you have been on before, but for the handful of people who have, uh, joined the community of this show since the last time you were a guest here, why don't you, if you'd start off by just giving us a, an overview of, you know, who you are, what you like to work on, how you spend your time in life. And then I will uh, dive in on a few of the topics that I want to chat with you about today. Yeah. So my, my work kind of um, oscillates between, uh, you know, pure expedition type of projects where I'm out in the field, exploring some new wave, some new cycling route or skiing or whatnot. And then a lot of commercial work that we still do shooting catalogs and branded content for, for people out there. And it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, given, you know, push and pull trying to find the time to, to give attention to both. And beyond that, I'm obviously a, a dad and um, to two young boys and I have my family here and we, um, we have a small like kind of farm with a bunch of random animals and alpacas and <laughs> sheep and uh, other things. So I, I'm busy to say the least um, have a studio space in California, Pismo beach, where we uh, kind of work on a lot of our production shoots and, whatnot, but I, I definitely fill my time up. You know, I love the, I love the idea of exploring kind of the relationship between human beings and landscapes and, um, and oftentimes trying to explore that through human powered adventures in some way. And, um, it's been a, it's been a good run, you know, if you feel like I've been really grateful and, and, and as odd as it sounds, you know, doing this for 15, 20 years, I'm just finally like hitting my stride into figuring out what it is I love and the sort of recipe for success within telling those stories. There's two things embedded in there that I want to extract. One, this fact that being having done that for 15 plus years and just starting to feel like you're getting footing, that seems to someone who's listening to this right now and is, you know, on year two, it's got to sound crazy overwhelming, but I, I know that to be true as an artist, we're always sort of, you know, finding new footing. Um, what, you know, what, what might you say about that process of, you know, figuring it out, figuring yourself out, your career, your path. Uh, and because I'll tell you the, the people who are watching and listening right now are at various points on their journey. Some, you know, just starting some veterans, but a lot of people trying to get the courage to start. So, you know, that might, sound intimidating that you know legend chris burkhardt is just now thinks he's figured it out and he's been doing it for uh i don't know what are you 29 now so half your life yeah i mean it, the truth of the matter is is you're, you're you're spot on you know i i definitely have no clue what i'm doing at times you know i, I think i took a, a, a text from your book you know about trying to really um explore different avenues of creativity you know i mean i obviously um, was a huge fan of what you were doing prior to like shooting a lot of commercial work, you know, shooting, being, being really immersed in the ski world. And then all of a sudden I remember I'm, I'm kind of in the beginning of my career and I'm in Seattle and I'm like, what's this portrait book that Chase did? Like, this seems so out of the ordinary. And I think that I, I again, I took a text from that thinking that, well, if I want to tell more deep and meaningful stories, I need to expand beyond what I'm comfortable with. And for me, it was a matter of, well, can I still use the backdrop of adventure, of landscape, of all these things, 
but tell something that's about, you know, addiction or parenthood or um, indigenous cultures or something like that to, I guess, like just expand our human experience. Right. And um, I think that I don't necessarily need to totally give up everything that I love and care about in terms of, of documenting, you know, surfing and growing up within this, you know, action sports realm, but I can still try to probe a little deeper to explore a little more. And so nowadays um, the recipe that I'm, I'm kind of talking about is it's about like giving time to each one of those things. It's about, you know, if I'm working with a brand commercially and they want me to do something for them and support them or promote them, I want to advocate for a project that's going to speak uh, both of our languages and do something meaningful, do something purposeful, not just kind of like, yeah, I'll just, you know, share some random product. Um, if I'm shooting a commercial project for a brand, they, they obviously know what they're coming to me for. And they also know what they aren't. I think that the last time we spoke, we talked a lot about saying yes or saying no is really saying yes to what you want. And it's funny because with that comes this other thing where as you get more mature, as you get older, you start to realize like really what you enjoy and what you really don't. And in the beginning of your career, you might just be like, I'm going to say yes to everything. I'll figure it out. Fake it till you make it. And yes, faking it till you make it is epic. But at a certain point, you're like, I don't, I don't want to fake it because I, I don't enjoy that. And I want to know what I'm good at and what I, what's going to push me and what's going to be hard for me, but what I'm going to be excited about because there's nothing that can replace that excitement. There's nothing that can replace like the goosebumps on the back of your neck or, you know, that feeling of like, you know, your, your stomach up here in your chest when you're, when you're shooting something or when you're creating something. And I, I strive for that now. And I try to find the balance between those things throughout the year. This, this idea of um, exploring and expanding and not being, you know, not stagnating mm -hmm. is something that resonates deeply with me. And I think with the, the world that we are in right now as tools are ever expanding, uh, more accessible, more affordable. Um, but it's interesting. And as I was replaying your description of your work that I like to start off most of the shows with for people who are unfamiliar with the guest, I, it occurred to me that you just started talking about creativity and projects and you didn't actually say, <laughs> you know, I'm a photographer or I'm a filmmaker yeah. or I'm a, a break dance. I br I'm a break dancer, yeah, which yeah. I think it's, 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 it's fascinating. And I know you're all of those things, but yeah. to, the, how do you, what, like, what are your identifiers in the realm of creativity? Do you have some, or are you completely eschewing those as, you know, um, constraining labels? How do you think about that? What do you I, call yourself? I, I, I definitely have tried to like cast off all the pronouns and in, in, in the creative space and just be like, you know, I am a, I'm a storyteller. It seems, it sounds cliche to be honest, but it's the truth of the matter. Like I don't pick up my camera every month and make money from picking up my camera. I will help direct films obviously and, and be hired for that position where I'm not touching a single camera the entire time or I'm, I'm, uh, you know, going and, and speaking on behalf of an environmental issue in a, in a country that, um, I've documented or advocated for, um, you know, obviously within the social media realm, there's this kind of, you know, ambassador or influencer status where you're at times promoting or supporting a brand initiative. Um, and, and by doing so, you're oftentimes creating something with them or for them. So it, it does, you know, transcend that. And I think that there's a, a small part of me in the back of my mind that still thinks I'm like an athlete of some, of some sort. So I immerse myself in those athletic pursuits from time to time with the intent of telling a story, right? So 
everything I'm doing is meant to kind of come back to this broader narrative. Like if I want to talk about this specific place or this specific person, what is the best way to do that? Is it through a photo essay? Is it through photography? Is it through making a film? Is it through writing an essay or, um, you know, interviewing them or a podcast, right? Like you are um, an incredibly talented photographer, but like, you know, podcast is one of my favorite things that you, you do because you, you ask great questions and you, you have this skill set that is kind of based upon those years and years and years of, of working with people and shooting portraits and interacting with them. So I, I think that, you know, in the truest sense of the form, um, I like to tell stories, whatever format that takes on, I'm willing and I'm open to it. Um, if I have to be uh, one of the protagonists in that story, great. If it, if it gives me a more immersive, um, more personal, intimate connection, great. But yeah, I, I kind of don't answer the question like, yeah, I'm a photographer. I'm from California. It just It just kind of sometimes puts me in a box and I, and I, um, I get claustrophobic there. I love it. And I, I think maybe you could comment on one further point there, which is, do you think this is useful for others? I, I, I feel... I had the same sort of epiphany at some point, and then I started writing books and building companies and, you know, this, the idea that, um, a label, it was useful, uh, culturally, but it didn't capture me or my spirit. So Mm -hmm. I think of my own experience and just listen to what you said about feeling boxed in. Is there some advice that you can give to others? Like, should, uh, someone who's just starting out, you know, refuse to be boxed in, or is there some virtue of going deep in a couple of things and becoming an expert? Like, mm-hmm. what's the what's the Chris Burkhardt prescription? I I I would say absolutely going going deep, immersing yourself, being a, a specialist is is um, incredibly valuable. It's actually like the one piece of advice I give to everybody when you're starting out. I think that's that's important. You you're hired by clients by, you know, by brands, by whoever, because you're the best at what you do. You're not hired because you have a resume that's this long and you could do all these things. Okay. Nobody's looking for like the, the, the portrait and wedding and wildlife photographer and product photographer that can do it all. Like you're hired by, you know, the Nat Geos and the, the you know, outside magazines and the apples of the world because you're, you're a specialist. Right. And I, so I, I try to hone that specialty as best I can. I try to, I try to, you know, really sink my teeth in and and understand it. And that doesn't mean that I can't expand my craft or my understanding into other things. It just means that the way in which I do it is I go all in. You know, if I'm going to study aerial photography, I'm going to spend years doing it prior to even putting out a portfolio where I can claim, yeah, I, I know how to do this. And now that's a portfolio that after spending tens of thousands of dollars investing in in time and money and and hours learning how to fly and whatnot, I feel proficient, right? But this idea that everybody's just going to like, you know, what's the quick thing? What's the, you know, you get this asked all the time, I'm sure. Like, what's the, what what was that moment that you knew? I'm like, you know, the moment that I knew was when I realized that I didn't know anything and that I, I truly um, had to put in my 10,000 hours. And I think that that restarts every time you want to pursue something new. So I guess what I'm saying is in the beginning, trying to really um, focus, focus in, hone in, you know, I want to have a whole set of knives that are all really sharp. I don't just want to have one, you know, one knife that's like, you know, a a small thing that I know how to use. I want to have a whole set so that when I come to the table to prepare a meal for somebody, I, I can, I can do it all. And I think that's how I look at things now. And at a certain point, 
once you figure out what your mantra, your thesis, your, your, your goal of your work is, I think that's the point at which you start to explore different avenues to share it. So um, for me, the, the, the biggest eye opener was when I wrote a children's book. It was called, um, it was called The Boy Who Spoke to the Earth. I made this children's book. None of my photos are in it. I wrote it and I, I used images um, as an inspiration piece for this artist. And point being is that if I, as a creative person, had this, you know, had this goal, this focused uh, message I wanted to get out to the world, and I realized that there was a huge audience that I wasn't reaching kids, right, and, and or parents who are trying to teach their kids, I want to serve them. I want to provide them something. It doesn't mean that photography is going to get the message across. So I had to look at other avenues. So I guess what I would say is that once you figure out what that you know, again, that mission statement is for you, then you can start to look at all the ways in which you can try to push it out into the world. And, and you might find that, that photography, creativity, um, maybe doesn't, isn't served by that. So you have to think of other ways in some capacity. Yeah. yeah this idea of, you know, at first you got to figure out how to work with one knife and sharpen it and get good at that before yeah. you start juggling flaming chainsaws like you're doing now, uh, you know, nin ninja level expert ninja level expert there. Um, I think that resonates. That's, I, I give similar advice and it's advice that I never got. And I had to figure it out, especially early on in the career where someone says, do you want to do jumping jacks and get paid for it? You'll say, yes. Do I want to, you know, uh, fly to the moon? Yes. Do I want to, <laughs> you know, dig a ditch? Yes. Anything. Yes. Yeah. Cause you're in love with the idea of getting paid to, you know, to share yeah. a vision with the world. Um, and yeah. I think what I heard from you, what I heard from you there is that look at, get, get, get good at one thing and hone your understanding of yourself, your message. And, mm -hmm. and that will, um, yeah. that will be actually a springboard to go into some, some of these other areas, which I think you rightly called out that you've, you've become an expert at. So I want to just pick off a couple of those areas you talked about starting off, uh, as an adventurer and adventure photographer, of course, that requires mm. a certain amount of, this is the thing that most people don't realize that you and I haven't come from this universe. You have to be an athlete in order to even get in the place to take a picture there, right? We're, ski we're skiing right. the same shit that the people we're photographing are. We're just skiing yeah. 50 pounds on our back. Um, so there's a, yeah. there's a concept of, of a photographer. There's a concept of an athlete. There's a concept of a of Chris, the, the director of the filmmaker, uh, there's, you know, Chris, the author, the children's book author and the author of a new book, which I is an excellent gift, by the way, like I've given a couple mm -hmm. gifts and it is like very, very well received. So we'll talk about your new book wayward here in just a moment. But if, so you're an author, um, as you mentioned, you are an advocate for, um, uh, indigenous cultures and, and uh, a handful of other initiatives that are near and dear to you environmentally, sustainability, culturally. Um, this is quite, this is quite the cornucopia. You're 15 mm. years in, you said you're just figuring it out. Uh, is does figuring it out look like adding more feathers to the, to the, um, to the arrangement or is this something, yeah. is there something different? Is it about depth? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I think it's about depth. I also think it's not about, um, I just want to be clear, you know, it's not about, um, picking off, you know, creative assignments just because you want to put, you know, you want to put your name on it. You want to do them service. You know, 
I've, I've never pursued a project that I wasn't intimately connected to. If I'm, if I'm telling a story uh, about a friend, um, that person is somebody I know, that person is somebody I'm connected to. And, and I just so happen to be connected to a lot of amazing people because I, I care about human interaction and I care about, um, and I prioritize those friendships and I try to see where they can go. And if they go to a place where they can actually provide a, a cool and meaningful story, then the, then, you know, my friends know the first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll suggest them <laughs> for this project or for this thing. And it's been rad. I've been able to take, you know, um, amazing groups of people on photo shoots and, and, and bring them to places I love like Iceland. I think that the way I travel is very similar to the way I look at projects. Like I, I I'm not the person who's trying to fill up my passport with just stamps of every country. In fact, I, I haven't been that many places. I've been back to the same places over and over and over, you know, Iceland, like 53 times and Norway multiple times in Alaska, because I found something special there. And I would rather go deep to these places than just try to like touch on everything because by, by just going somewhere new, it's like a dopamine hit, you know, it's exciting. It's like a drug. You're so, you're so, you know, uh, overwhelmed by all the sights and sounds and everything, but it doesn't mean you're going to immerse yourself in that place. Um, I think with my relationships, it's the same way. I want to like give time to those. I want to see how they grow. And, and I, I understand full well that the, um, the responsibility of having a lot of plates spinning, right? Like there's a lot of things going, there's, you know, we're, we're selling prints and we're shooting this and we're, we're directing films and I've got this project in the background that I'm trying to get funded and yada, 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 yada. And I think that the one thing you got to keep in mind is it doesn't mean that every year you're going to be held to the same standard as you were before. Like I, I, I fully am, understand that sometimes some years your focus is on this thing. It's on this one project. Some years it's going to be, you know, for me around uh, an environmental or sustainability project where I'm going to be pouring my time and energy into. Um, I think that it's okay to like kind of shift focus and, and move a little bit. The biggest and most important thing is just making sure that you don't start a project that you're not willing to see through. Projects do die. You know, projects have a lifespan. Sometimes the hardest thing we can do is learn when to let go or learn when to give it to somebody else because maybe it will come to life that way. But I do know that when you're able to find the ones that are really meaningful, you you go all the way. And I think that you got to have that commitment. And this is what, you know, you and I, we, we relate to this. You said this right before the the podcast started, you're like, this book, this is for love, you know, because you're not making money doing this. And that's the truth of the matter. You don't, you don't make some of these long-term projects out to be these money making, get rich quick schemes. There's a lot of other ways to do that. You do it because you enjoy the process. And so the older I get, it seems like more of my projects take longer. They actually take longer because they're more involved. They're, I'm more creatively involved. I'm, I'm writing the treatment. I'm, I'm r- helping write a script. I'm directing it. I'm getting it funded. I'm, you know, so you, you become more involved in that process and, and that teaches you, you new things. Um, but yes, to, to kind of, to your point, there's a lot going on. And at times I have to give myself permission to just like take a step back and, or let certain things go or, or realize that, you know what? I don't have the time and attention to make this the very best that I can. So I'm going to put that on ice for right now. You know, and that's, that's a point of maturity that's been hard to, hard to kind of come to. Uh, you mentioned earlier identifying as a, a husband and as a father, some of these other, um, I just say roles that you've taken on in life. And 
I know that, that uh, there are a lot of people listening or watching right now that are like, cool. Well, how does he, that sounds incredible to do what Chris is doing, to travel <laughs> the world and work on sustainability projects. And, and so how does, you know, the, the family part fit in and, you know, the, the age old question about, um, you know, balance. I, I like to talk about it in terms of harmony because balance has never been possible for me. It's more like no. some of this now and some of that later, but I, I'm, I'm dying to hear you talk about it because you, you know, again, as the father of two boys and, you know, you're, you're very active in your community. Um, what, you know, you're, you're a husband. How, how do you, how do you manage those aspects? Those are, those are great questions. And honestly, that's the stuff that I love to talk about. That's the important stuff. That's the, that's the, those are the types of conversations that I think actually really help young creatives because it's challenging. It's challenging to be in a relationship with someone you love, um, whatever the, whether that's through marriage or your partner or whatever it is. And, and know that one person's goals or ideals might be slightly different than the other person. You might want to travel and see the world and, or it's being asked of you to do so through your work. Um, it can create tension. And I actually, I would hate to even address this without saying that a big portion of this conversation really is, um, is my wife should be a part of. And I actually, I made a podcast. I made one podcast, um, ever that I did personally. And it was just with my wife. It's a two hour podcast and it actually addresses all of this. So, um, I would, I would say that like, if people really want the deep dive, they should go there because it's so great to hear it from her perspective. But, um, in terms of like quick kind of the field notes version, there's a few things that I feel like I really try to consider when it comes to having a family, having people who you're responsible for whilst, out there in the world. And the first thing is just, you have to really define why you do what you do, right? Like I don't, again, I don't go on vacations um, out there in the world. I, I, you know, my work is, is what I travel for. And um, if I'm going somewhere, it's with my family. When I can bring them along, I will, but oftentimes where I'm going and what's being asked of me just doesn't, isn't really compatible with the, you know, two young boys and my wife. Um, But that being said, the most important thing is that when I go out on a job, I'm, my cup is filled up. I have to fill up my cup. So when I'm home, I have to make sure that I'm giving myself the time to, you know, do the things I, that I love, you know, whatever that's, you know, uh, health and mental wellness and or spending time with my family and feeling like I'm connected to them. There's nothing worse than going on a trip when you feel disconnected to the people you care about. If you want a recipe for disaster, go on a trip feeling like there's some unanswered emotions, feelings like... I, and I think that that's important. Like, I think every day before I leave, I'm actually leaving on Monday for like a month long trip. All I'm thinking about is how can I spend time with my kids? How can I spend time with my wife? How can I make sure that time is quality time? And it's a part of why I live in a more remote part of California. People can't grab at me, you know? Um, But in terms of actual communication, I would say that like my wife and I have realized that text messages are just not the best form of communication. If you want one piece of advice, one kernel of truth you take from this is like, you need to hear people's voice. When you hear people's voice, you can empathize with what they're going through. And everybody knows that your significant other can tell you, I'm fine, 25 different ways. And, and it means 25 different things. So just, just maybe avoid texting. It requires me to have a sat phone, to be available, to have a you know uh, international cell plan so that I can be available and in touch and, and, you know, communicate even when I'm in remote places. I think when it comes to my kids, the most important thing too, is like, 
if I come home from a trip and they're asking me, dad, where have you been? I've already failed. Um, I need to be thinking of them throughout the experience. If that means like filming a, a little clip of like a lizard or something that my son might love and sending it to him, that shows that while I'm there, I'm still thinking about him. I'm still thinking about um, what he's got going on and, and I'm trying to include him in the experience. And I guess I would say that the, the biggest thing with this is like, I, you know, you, you get it. You come back from these experiences, a trip somewhere. And, and um, there are times when you're like, you just want to unload all of this mind bending experience you've had, you know, you're like so excited and you, and it's oftentimes our partner. We just want to kind of like, you know, drop it all on like, Oh, I was here. I saw this stuff. It was this and this. And, and I think that at times it requires holding back from that. And I've realized that when I come home from a trip, the biggest and most important thing is that I advocate for my partner to go out and have a very similar experience in, in her own way, something that was out of her comfort zone, because that's what I was doing, right? That's, that's where the growth happens. Like I experienced something on the road or in a remote place and it, it required growth. So what we always talk about and what we've come to the conclusion of is that when, when, she, when I come home, it's like, my hope is that she gets to, it's not like going on a vacation. I'm not swapping her so she can go on a vacation. I'm, I'm trying to say, Hey, like you've been wanting to do that, that, you know, more mastery program for equine therapy, or you've been wanting to do this course, or you've been, you want to go out and, and, you know, train with your horse. Like I'm going to, you know, make sure that I provide the time for you to go do that so that she can then meet me at a similar place so that we're meeting each other on an equal playing field, having both had experiences that opened us up and allowed us to grow and learn. And I think that, you know, again, this is the Cliff Notes version, but this is what I've, I've learned in some capacity. That is pure wisdom as someone who's <laughs> lived it. That is absolute genius right there. Um, speaking of genius, I'm going to shift gears and talk about your latest book, which is also a in, in the words of Dave Eggers, a staggering work of genius. Um, it's called Wayward. And yeah. to the point that you made just a minute ago about the point that I made before we started recording, <laughs> like this is, you know, as um, someone who's done this sort of work before, and I have a huge amount of respect and also uh, an intimate understanding with how much work goes into this stunning book, which again is if you want to be inspired, get the book. If you want to inspire others, yeah. share this book with them because it is, it is true, especially people who love the, the outdoors. So, mm. you know, you said it earlier, you know, it's not, it's putting 10 or 15 years of your life into a book and, you know, taking the pictures and writing um, stories in there. It's, it's not a get rich quick scheme. So what yeah. was behind <laughs> What was, what was behind the impetus behind, you know, packaging all these amazing adventures that you've been sharing with us in, into one bound volume? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to be honest, I was very insecure about making this book. I was sitting with my, uh, my agent and, um, I was talking to a new publishing agent. Uh, her name was Catherine. And she was like, you know, what you really need to do, Chris, is write a memoir. And I was like, I'm not writing a memoir. Like I don't have any. I don't have anything worth sharing, you know, yada, yada, yada. I, I, I had read a lot of beautiful memoirs, but I was like, you know, I don't feel like that's something that I can put on the table because most of the books I had made were 
were compilations of my images mixed with other people's writings, you know, the, the, the travel writer who joined me, or it was maybe my images with like short captions. I've never before put like my own thoughts behind the images, behind the experiences into a book. And obviously this isn't necessarily a traditional memoir. This is, this is a bit in between, but it felt like maybe this is the right time to do it. It felt like there was a lot that was learned in a lot of these places in, you know, um, in the depths of, you know, remote Russia or Norway or the Faroes or Alaska, I felt like there was something to be shared from that. And so it, it, it kind of pulled at me in a lot of different directions. It was the most challenging book I think I've ever, um, I've ever uh, ventured to make only because, you know, you're putting your heart on a plate a little bit and you're trying to say like, what I've learned is worthwhile and what I've learned might help somebody else. And I think that was the, that was the quintessential thing that got me to do it was like, well, if this book can support somebody else's path, somebody else's knowledge, somebody else's learning, then, then it's worthwhile, then it's worth doing. Um, but I, I struggle with that. I mean, I struggle with that every day. It's a, it's hard to put, you know, your life's journey out there and in the hopes people can relate and understand. And I called it wayward because I've never been good at taking the most direct path to places. So the, the, the journey of wayward is really to kind of get to your end goal. Like this is my end goal. This is what I've always wanted. I just didn't really know I wanted it in the beginning. And in doing so, I struggled a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I burned bridges. I got you know stuck in Russian jail cells. I, I, I've had some sh pretty crappy experiences along the way, ones that ultimately taught me and made me who I am. And I'm, I'm grateful for every single one of them. And so that's kind of the, the point is that some people just, they have to take the hard path. And, um, and I'm one of them. Well, is there, is there an easy path? This is the thing that it's, it's interesting. I'm in the process of working on another book right now, and I'm writing on the fact that this, I, there's an idea that, you know, you can make wise choices and things can go well, or you can make difficult, you know, or bad choices and things can go poorly. But I, I actually think, you know, as I'm recounting my own experiences, that some of the worst choices that I made produced, you know, maximized my learning. So um, maybe this, this idea of wayward, uh, is there, is there truth that, um, is there truth that through choosing, uh, or, or being willing to explore and being mm. not necessarily bound by the shortest distance between, as you said earlier, like I'm doing this to make this amount of money, or I want to check this box. You've alluded to it several times about your travels. You're not going to 85 countries. You're going to 25, but you're going to each of those places 50 times. There's sort of a depth there. So is it, uh, you know, is it fair to say that, um, we are, we are trapped by this idea that we can go from where we are to where we want to be as a straight line because your I, life doesn't I, seem to match it. Mine, mine doesn't seem to match that. Yeah. I don't know anyone, you know, I personally don't know any other way, but I do know one thing. And that is that many people are held back by the idea that in order to get to where they want to go, they want defined results. They want a guarantee. They want a surety. You know, they'll take all the, all the creative live classes and all the workshops and take all the advice they can get without actually just submitting themselves to the fact that, you know, the world, you know, might have a different plan for you. And, and I, 
you know, I relate it to being tossed in the sea. I've been tossed in the sea most of my life. I've been, you know, subjected to the waves of the ocean, pushing me here, pushing me there. And at a certain point, what you realize is the only way to fight that is to not fight it, to let yourself go. And I think that what I recognize with a lot of young people starting out that scares me is that they want to travel to Iceland and they want to hit all these spots and they define success by having gone to all those places that they've seen. And so what's happening is that there's this new form of exploration that's, that's based around, um, you know, constants and guarantees and the hope that um, our trip is going to be successful. If we get to all these locations, we used to talk about going down dirt roads, you know, and exploring the unknown in more than just a romantic way. We used to actually do it. And so I think that there's something to be said for thrusting yourself into a situations where there is no guarantees, where the mystery of the experience is still there. And I, and I really hope that people understand that like, there is no fast track. I mean, yeah, maybe you can find success by copying what someone has done or following what someone has done and, and trying to redo that, but that only lasts so long. And I think that those who are truly willing, they're the ones that are kind of reinventing the wheel over and over and over because they're just willing to thrust themselves into the unknown and fall face down and then get back up and figure it out. And I feel like that's what I've done over and over and over. How do you build that muscle in order to be able to trust that you won't completely fail? Yeah, you know, risk is a part of this. You know, I, I feel like I've had a, developed a healthy relationship with risk. And I don't mean like risking my life. I just mean like, like there's a lot of other risks we can take, financial risks. I've taken many, many financial risks, gone to places where the magazine that I was working for was like, oh, we're not, we're not going to pay for that. Or if you don't come back with images, we're not going to pay for any of that. So being in my life at times where my bank account was depleted, I was newly married at 21 years old, trying to tell my wife that I'm going to basically go on this trip to this remote place. I don't even know if the surf is good in the hopes that I'll come back. And yes, I benefited from some of these trips, but also I made some huge mistakes along the way. And so I think that being able to know that when you've done every ounce of research you could, you know, the more you know, the less you need. That's always been my mantra when it comes to like taking risk. And I feel like I can, I can justify certain risks when I feel like I am prepared, when I've gone that extra mile. And what that requires is discipline, like severe discipline. You know, I mean, it requires sleepless nights where you're researching. It requires being on a phone with a Russian fixer, trying to figure out, you know, what gear you need to take, what, what you need to bring, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't blow it, you know? Um, and, and I think that's, that's really what it requires. And I, and I see people kind of come into certain situations a bit lazily with the expectation that somebody's going to prop them up or support them along the way. But, and, and maybe you can find that now. But when I was starting out, and I think when you were starting out, there was there was nobody there. There was nobody to guide me. There wasn't somebody extra to call to say, hey, you've been there. Can you give me this advice? Um, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's actually very awesome that there is now. But I would say that you know, looking at all the tools in front of you and using every single one, using all the tools. I don't care if it means calling the crazy grandpa who you know, served in this remote part of the country where you might be going to, you know, and reading, you know, going to your library and going online nowadays, everything you really need to know is right here, right? It's on this phone in front of you. So 
I would just say that at your fingertips, there's so much knowledge. I've always been a, an advocate for taking advantage of that knowledge and, and learning to use that muscle over and over. And as you do, it gets stronger and it can bear more weight and it can bear more burden. And as you know, the funniest thing about this is like, you'll be on an assignment or a job and you're like, oh my God, I, I, I've never been so stressed out. It, it can't get any worse. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. And then all of a sudden you're on the next one and you're like, whoa that last one felt like chill, you know, and your, your tolerance for these things just gets so high, you know? Yeah. The repetition of discomfort it strikes me as something you're almost, you know, I, I, uh, at the risk of sounding trendy, I've been into cold water for years and years and years, as have you been surfing yeah. in some of the coldest water in the world. Right. And yeah. this idea of regularly getting, comfortable being uncomfortable it's really hard to overstate and whether that's in cold water or mm -hmm. in a job that you haven't done before or going to a place without certainty I, I love this idea of sort of mystery and and uh understanding risk uh i don't think i've heard it put as elegantly as you just did um thank you more on more on wayward so hundreds of photographs and there are a handful of corresponding stories of all of the stories that you have across your life and adventures to the farthest corners of the globe. How did you choose the ones that, uh, that are in here? And is there one in particular that you would like to uh, tempt our audience with here so that they are inspired to check the book out? Yeah, you know, it, it, that's a great question. I, I definitely, it, in the beginning, I just wrote all of them down. I wrote, I had 140,000 words and I, I cut it down to about 30 or 40,000, um, with a, with a handful of good editors and ghostwriters. And ultimately it was challenging because I, I wrote a lot of stories that were really personal, that leaned towards the personal side of things that dealt with like the emotional and the relationship side of life. You know, again, I wanted to address what you asked, which was like, how do you balance these relationships and what were the struggles you found? And then I touched on, you know, a lot of the stories I thought that the young, you know, aspiring photographer might be um, excited to hear, might might be lifted up by, you know, buoyed up by. And I think that the one story that was um, that was interesting to me, um, I've shared a lot of them, you know, over the years on podcasts and what whatnot. Um, so nothing's like necessarily new, but I think the way it's piled together and compiled is really special. But I remember being in Chile. Um, it was one of my first trips, like first like year or two of traveling. And I had had and found some success, right? I had had, I, I, you know, finally was making a little bit of money, was putting that money back into equipment, was getting, you know, the right cameras, the right this. I think at the time I was shooting Nikon um, and I had like, you know, a full frame body and an APS-C body, you know, as a backup. And then I had, um, you know, this killer 200 to 400 zoom that I was shooting surfing with. It was an awesome lens. And then the 70 to 200, 28 except all the, all the things you need, right? Like all the tools. I, I felt like I had finally like gotten to the top of that mountain and been like, you know what? I, there's nothing holding me back now. And I remember going to Chile and it's funny because all of my stories are usually about me wanting a little more, pushing it a little harder, and then kind of being like, you know, slap on the wrist type of scenario. And I remember being down in this, this uh, little tiny town called Lebu, I think it was called, way south um kind of uh, you know way south of like um 
Puchipodeo and those areas and whatnot, south of all the point breaks. And we went there because I had been researching this one remote way that breaks out on the edge of this harbor and, and kind of the wind pushes into it. It's like offshore, big kind of outer balmy, I guess you'd say, where it comes from deep water and hits a shallow reef. And we got into this town late and I was all excited and I'm with these surfers on an assignment for Surfer Magazine or for Surfline at the time, actually. And I remember going to like the local bar and, and just trying to, you know, I speak no Spanish, like muy poquito, very little. And I'm trying to find a, a boat driver who's willing to take us out there for sunrise. And it dawned on me later on that maybe going to the bar wasn't the best place to find a boat driver, but nobody else, nowhere else was open. And so I go there and I'm looking for a boat captain and I'm like, hey, we have, you know, four people. We need to go out. We want to sit on the side of the wave and shoot this thing. And, um, and I found a guy. He's like, cool. I'll meet you at the harbor at like, you know, whatever, 8 a.m. And uh, I get to the harbor the next morning. All the guys are ready. Got our boards. You know, we can see the wave. It's not that far out. You could have just swam out there if you wanted to. But, you know, this dude's like kind of stumbling a little bit and, and getting into the boat and grabbing fuel and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there. I've got all my gear. I'm in the front of this pontoon thing. And you know, and, and the conditions look great, you know, big shoulder, wide channel. There's a great spot to park the boat. No big deal. And, and, and there was a moment that kind of dawned on me, like, maybe this isn't the right person to go with. And I was like, nah, whatever, you know, don't care about that. That's, that's not a, that's not a concern. My concern is getting the shot. My concern is, you know, doing this. And we had had like a week of, of good waves, great waves. It was towards the end of the trip and we go out there the guys jump off the boat. They're starting to get waves. It's sick. It's offshore, beautiful wave, you know, and I'm, I'm just sitting there with all my gear kind of like I brought everything with me on the boat for some reason. Um, had my long lens out shooting, put that away, grab my 70, 200, I'm shooting. And all of a sudden this, this something like bigger comes, you know, it seems it's funny when you were looking at waves, cause sometimes you'll see the waves, they're breaking, they're breaking. And all of a sudden a real set wave comes in like an actual one from a swell and it's way bigger. And this thing swung wide, like way wide around this point, this headland. And all of a sudden I'm looking at where we are and I'm like, holy cow, like our boat is pointed this way. The wave is coming this way. We need to, we need to flip it. We need to either go in or, and I, and I look back and the boat captain is just sitting there with his hand on the motor, head down. Like I couldn't tell if he was sleeping or drooling or whatnot. And I'm like, Hey, Hey, like buddy, we got to go. Like, and he wakes up and he's, he doesn't know what which way to go. He doesn't know whether to cut this way or this way. So he just guns it right up the face of the thing, thinking that maybe we're going to make it over this wave, which by the, by the quick math I'm doing in my head, I'm like, there's not a chance in hell we're going to make it over this wave. Like we're about to just absolutely smash into this thing. And the only thing I can relate this to is when we impacted that wave and I sat in the front of the boat, I just hunched over all my camera gear, everything I owned. I was like putting in here didn't have time to even close up any waterproof enclosures or anything like that. It felt like I was on the edge of a Shamu tank and the thing had just, you know, taken all the water from the tank and spilled over. It was, it was a deluge of water. I'm actually surprised that I didn't just come flooding out of the boat. You know, I had my hands wrapped around the ropes on the side. And right after that moment, I was like, uh, this is it. I'm done. Like I, my career is over. Everything I own just got so soaked. And I, I can't express the amount of water that was there. I mean, I was pouring it out of my lenses, like salt water, just trickling out, out of my cameras, got rushed back to shore, went straight to a bathroom, turned the heat on all the way, put everything out, tried to wipe it down with fresh water, 
tried to sweat it all out. And I have never in my life gone home early from a trip, but I went home about four days early because I had no equipment. I had, I had nothing to shoot on. Nothing was working. My cameras were busted. My lenses were busted. I flooded every piece of gear that I owned. And it was roughly in the, to the tune of like thirty to $40,000 worth of gear, right? And that was the moment right there where I was like, this is it. This, my, my career is over. And, I, you know, it, it took weeks. I was like calling my editors, telling them, I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. Like, I don't know what to do. I think I just quit surf photography. I think I'm done. Um, luckily, I had the brains to get insurance. And I filed an insurance claim, an ungodly insurance claim. And then right after they basically refunded me for the cameras, they dropped me from the insurance plan. And I was uninsurable for about six years from anybody. I couldn't get an insurance plan to save my life from anyone, right? Um, so that was that was probably one of the more eye-opening experiences. And it happened at such a young age that I just felt so vulnerable, felt like, how in the world could this happen to me? You know, I'm, I'm the over planner, the overthinker, but, but I have this problem. Sometimes I don't always listen to my conscience, you know, and I, I, I try to justify thinking that, no, this is worth it. You know, this situation, it feels a little dangerous, a little scary. I'm just going to go for it. And I think that over the years, I've gotten a little better at that. Isn't it weird how that, uh, that also is a muscle in a weird way. That's the, the ability to listen to your own intuition having had that in many uh, mountain environments where, you know, if you ski this and it doesn't go well, you die kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yes. The, the, these, these, these types of adventures, I think they are seductive for someone mm -hmm. who's sitting home on the couch. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk to those people for just a second. I want you to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And in order to figure out what you wanted to do way back when there was a time where it was not Chris Burkhard storyteller or Chris Burkhard mm -mm. photographer, or there was Chris Burkhard with a dream and uh, mm -hmm. an uncertainty around what to do with this one precious life. So I want to go back mm -hmm. to that Chris and I want that Chris to talk to the people who right now are going, man, it sounds so cool to know what you want to do and to be willing to spend all your money and, you know, communicate clearly with your family, what your ambitions are, and then go chase those dreams. Mm -hmm. So, but let's go back yeah. to, to Chris before we had it all figured out. And what was it like in that moment? And were you trying various things Did you like say, you know, computer programming that didn't work, uh, you know, whatever, um, video game tester that didn't work or like, what was the process yeah. for you to fall in love with the thing that you would ultimately make your you're living in your life doing. Right. And I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know right away that it was, it was photography and it was travel. I think that we are all a byproduct of, of what we experience in our youth as a kid. And then what we also don't have, you know, what we don't have is sometimes almost more, um, it's almost more meaningful. It's almost, it's almost more like kind of subjective that, can almost define our path a lot. And I, and I didn't grow up traveling or going anywhere. Again, I didn't have a passport until I actually started working as a photographer. My first passport I got and I went on an, on a trip for work. Um, so I didn't know what was out there beyond the, the, the Sierra Nevada mountain range, right? Like that was the furthest extent of my experience. I grew up, you know, wanting 
to go out and see the world because as any kid, you want to know what's out there. You're excited. You, I lived at the beach and I would, you know, go play at the beach and it was a babysitter at times just to get kind of dropped off and, and, um, through the day. But I, I really desired to know what was out there in the world. And so I think that what ended up happening was that I did try a couple other career paths. I, I was going to be a mechanic. I had a full, full ride scholarship to Wyotech university to work on cars and, um, had a couple other job ideas lined up and I, I ended up picking up a camera at like 18 after going up and down the coast of California with my friend surfing, you know, where we could drive to in the afternoon and Big Sur and San Simeon and these places where I, near where I lived. And I just felt this sense of like connection with these people and this place and this sense of adventure that I wanted to document it. And it's funny because photography wasn't the goal. The goal was travel. The goal was to see more of that, to see more of the world, because I didn't have that. I didn't come from that. Uh, again, no, never went on vacation anywhere on a plane. So I, when I picked up a camera, I thought this could be the way. This is the ticket. This is the access point. I never thought of a photography as a way to tell stories or a way to you know document beautiful places. I just thought maybe this could be, allow me uh, the assignment or or somebody would be willing to like send me there if I got good enough. And when I started shooting surf photography, you know, it was honestly because landscape photography didn't really work out. I loved landscape photography, but I had no idea how to do it. I didn't have the time or the money or the gallery space or or the equipment. I had rudimentary crappy equipment. I was shooting on like a Canon 20D at the time after shooting film on a Nikon N90S kit lenses. Surf photography was like, it, it made sense to me because I was a mechanic. I was very much like worked with my hands. And when I got in the water, it was like, okay, I understood the mechanics of a wave. It was rudimentary. It was almost industrial in some way. It was like, I stand on the beach, the person goes up, they do a turn. I shoot that moment. It wasn't suggestive, right? There wasn't this like, um, okay, I get back behind this rock and then I shoot a wide angle and then I, I use a grad filter. It wasn't all this kind of chemistry, I guess you could say. So I, I came to it because it felt blue collar and it felt like something I understood. And I was like, well, you know, in my mind, in my monkey brain over here, the kid who was like turning wrenches on cars for a living, changing oil, I was like, well, hell, I don't need to be the most creative person. I can just be the person who's willing to, uh, to submit myself and subject myself to the longest hours possible. I'll be there before everybody else, before the sun rises. I'll go home at the end of the day after the sun sets. I'll work all day. Like that's all I had to offer. Literally was like, was, wasn't brains. It was just like brute kind of, you know, strength, I guess you could say. Um, and, and with that, I'll just say an, an extra added measure of, um, of kind of ignorance is with that. So, um, I think that's how I actually got into it. I know that's probably not the answer that people want, um, but it, it did force me to like really understand and, and realize what I could bring to it. Because in the beginning, I didn't feel like I could offer photography anything. And my intentions were different. And what happened was this beautiful process unfolded. When I started to shoot more and more and more, I started to develop something different. I started to, to see things slightly differently. And I, when I started to travel, I started to to pick up on unique things. I started to pick up on the way that people interacted with the world. I started to pick up on different cultures and religions. And all of a sudden, my intention shifted from being about collecting a paycheck and, and getting stamps in the passport and seeing, just seeing the world to like, no, there's, there's more. I want 
to share. There's people and places. And there's this guy in Oman that drove through the whole night and helped me find a place to stay. And then there was this person who like, you know, got me through the customs line when I was having a mental breakdown and had no idea. There there were these moments of, of pure humanity that like allowed me to see more. And this is why I attribute travel to the greatest gift I've ever been given because it taught me uh, an, 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 an uneducated kid who was a college dropout, what the world had to offer. And it, and it was beautiful. And I think that time gave me that and it allowed me to uh, define my mission statement to be more about, you know, sharing these experiences and these places and these people and these initiatives rather than just like, you know, the, the, the pure performance of some athlete in some remote place. This question, thank you very much for that. This question, sorry, it's a long-winded one. I'm no, sure. this is no, but it's this. We're not here. This is not TV. We're not here for a soundbite. This is this is a yeah. perfect, perfect, perfect place to share that kind of stuff. So, the, this question is for the parents out there, aspiring parents, you know, or or current parents. You you clearly have learned a lot. You just talked about you know your upbringing relative to what you decided to pursue. You spoke about, and you know anyone who follows you on Instagram, you know knows that. Say, Forrest, your son loves lizards, or you know. So, what 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 are you doing differently for your kids, for the the parent in you? How are you approaching parenting um, based on what you've learned about travel and about the world and about being empowered to do the things that you want to do? How, yeah, how are you imparting that to your kids? Totally. I, you know, I can't urge people enough to, you know, for me, the biggest and most important thing, kind of like the, 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 the pinnacle of the mountain is that I don't want to pass on to my kids some inherent fear of the unknown. That's the most important thing. Like I want them to develop their own fears. They're gonna, I don't need them to have mine. Right. As a, as a kid, I was afraid of certain things because I grew up not knowing them or, or being afraid of them. Or, or you know, I, I lived in a very condensed childhood where like I was, you know, given like the, the local news and the six o'clock news and the dinner table conversations. And I, I want my kids to come to their own understanding of places and not, not be, not be given uh, and sort of pass down some inherent fear. So that's, that's the most important thing is that they form their own opinions. Um, and I'm always happy to share my perspective, but it's just my perspective. Um, you know, I remember when I first and foremost told my family that I was quitting school, quitting college, um, you know, and and pursuing photography. There was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of fear. It was a it was a big moment of strife. It was I I felt like I was letting them down. I felt like I was letting down the people that I I loved the most. It was really challenging. I would say that was almost a more significant decision than than to pursue photography in general was to was to make my own choice as a young man and not follow in the footsteps of what my, you know, my, my family wanted. So for my kids, I want them to pursue the things that they're passionate about. I don't, I, I in fact don't care if they ever pick up a camera. I don't want them to be compared to what I do or to compare themselves. In fact, it's the same thing with my wife. Like when I come together with my kids, I want them to teach me something because then they feel empowered. They feel intelligent. They feel smart. They feel like they've got something to offer the world. I don't want it to always be like, oh, well, 
let dad teach you what I, what I learned about this remote place or whatever. I want them to teach me something. I want them to take me on adventures and show me what they care about. And if I can support that, and if I can allow them to grow up and be their own person, that they find creativity, photography, filmmaking on their own, that'll be awesome. I'll be so stoked. But my goal as a parent is to foster their interests, expose them to everything, and then allow them to make their own decisions and just support them in a way that I would have wanted to be supported and, and was supported. So that would, that's kind of the that's kind of the process that I've taken and, and it's important. And I also would say that with that, um, you know, my wife and I are trying to raise our kids in Iceland for three months out of the year because we feel like it's important to to show them just how another part of the world lives, how another part of the world functions and operates and and sees the world and um and just you know getting outside of your your comfort zone in in, in simple things like not hearing everybody speak English every day and and whatnot. That's those are great, great tools for kids to put in their toolkit. Brilliant. Brilliant. What next? So we've talked about, you know, uh, everything under the sun from photography to producing films and, and writing children's books and your latest book, Wayward. Um, Interesting things that are on the horizon. Are are there a handful of things that have captured your heart more than things you've done in the past or things that are new and on the horizon you could share with us? Yeah, I'm working on a feature length film. um, That's sort of an adaptation from an expedition I did through Iceland. It's a, I rode my bike with two other incredible people um, through the interior of Iceland um, in winter, like dead of winter. It was a crazy, brutal, super gnarly expedition. Um, but we found out after the trip that one of the people on the on the trip was was fighting with addiction and had a relapse afterwards. And just all these kind of things kind of piled up, and we really want to try and tell this sort of parallel story that that discusses the you know sort of the the trials that somebody goes through dealing with addiction whilst also trying to be the best version of themselves. And with the Olympics and things like that, we've seen a lot of people have this kind of post, um, you know, post uh, performance letdown where like there's a severe depression that sets in after you go and you, you perform at the highest level and athletes, just like anybody else, you know, they have that, those same kind of um, ways of coping. And so we're, we're trying to work on this, this story that's, it's a it's challenging narrative to tell because it kind of has two two timelines that coexist and um, we're telling this story that jumps back and forth a bit um, but we've, we've got a lot of interest and I think we're we have a buyer and so we're, we're looking at finishing shooting that um, in this coming year and then I also have um, you know a handful of other personal projects expeditions pro, uh, things that we're shooting uh, for brands and whatnot through this year but yeah I just hoping I can get out and ski and ride my bike a little bit more and be at home and enjoy it. Uh, give me one more little snippet on deciding to uh, put down some roots in Iceland. Yeah. I mean, that's never was the goal. Never thought that was going to be something that I would be able to do. In fact, I kind of sit there at my apartment right now and I, when I'm there and I just like pinch myself, I'm like, how, did I land here? You know, it all just kind of happened. And I think that it's the byproduct of just not fighting it, realizing that this is a place I want to be. This is a place I love. Don't question it. Don't question, does it make sense? Is it financially, you know, yada, 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 because you can talk yourself out of it so easy. I just like decided to move in the direction that my heart was taking me. And um, although it's painful to at times not be here, I have so much here in California that I, 
I feel responsible for, but working there enough throughout the year that it makes sense. It was a big part of it. And now the fact that my wife loves to be there, my kids love to be there, um, makes it all that much more easy. And, and, and I just feel like the best version of myself comes out when I'm there and I love the people and I want to advocate for them and advocate for that environment. Yeah. (laughs) Weird. Isn't it, isn't it weird? I, I want to also to, you you mentioned the people and the people uh, there in Iceland Mm -hmm. and, you know, you've, you've referenced several times having, you know, the people in your life that are close to Mm -hmm. you. And before we started recording, I, I, shared some condolences about a friend of yours. You talked about learning aerial mm. photography and someone who'd, who'd flown with you all over, uh, who'd flown you all over yeah. Iceland and his recent passing. And prior to our recording, this idea, and I think you said it right before we hit go, is just like, yeah, some, you know, it's not always flowing at you. Sometimes things, you know, flow away from mm. you. Yeah. And we're, if we're going to, we're going to lose things and people that we love. And I'm wondering it's it just was really eloquent. And then we jumped right into recording. So I'm wondering if you can, you yeah. know, I, I having, you know, I, I guess I have a similar experience and listening to you talk about processing, it seemed inspiring to me. You know, many of the people that I photographed are not alive anymore. They pioneered base jumping and, mm-hmm. you know, skiing in a way that had, no one had ever skied before or lines that had never been skied. And, you know, when you start, when you lose enough people there, or come close to death yourself. You talked about the surfing accident and I've got several stories that are not dissimilar. It's, you know, loss is uh, an, an important part of that. Mm. And having just, you know, come off of very public sharing of your, Mm. you know, respect and gratitude for, you know, this particular human. I'm wondering if you can just share a little bit of your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I feel like it's imperative to, to honor, my friend, uh, you know, Harold or Diego, uh, in the, in the best way I can. And, and the truth of the matter is it's like, I, I can't avoid it. Right. My, my office is basically a shrine to our experiences together. I've got images all over the walls. I have books. I've got many people have their prints in, I would say some of my best work, if not my best work, definitely my most meaningful work is, was created with him. And, um, you know, I've thought about it a lot at first. It was like anger and, and, grief and this and that. And then I I tried to change that to gratitude and to realize like in so many versions of, you know, life as Chris Burkhardt, I could have not met him or I could have just, you know, never interacted with him or he could have just been an acquaintance, but I got to have a really good friend. I got to have a friend that, that shared with me the beauty of a place that um, I would have never fully appreciated if it wasn't for him. And I feel like how lucky am I to have, to have had that. And, and that's the perspective I've tried to take. And, and I, I think it's, it's not so much that I'm, I'm sad about not being able to fly there or not being able to, you know, go see those places. Cause I, cause I could always hire another pilot. It's about not being with that person, you know, because of what they brought to the experience. And I guess the one thing I'll say, just kind of summarize it is that um, a lot of people pass, you know, we, we all, we both lose people all the time. Occasionally, there's that really special person where they make you take a step, take a moment and think about what it means to be a good friend, to be a confidant, to be somebody who like cares and loves and whatnot. And something that's so special about him is like so many people that visited Iceland, they would ask me, where should I go? What should I do? And I'd be like, you got to fly, you got to fly, you got to go with my friend. And to think that most of those people 
that day flying with him, they would come back and say, or they would post it, or it was the best day of my life. It was the best day of my trip. It was mind blowing. So to think about his life and the fact that every day, what he got to do for a living was to take people on their best day, their best day. I mean, I've had a couple best days with people, but I've never had the amount that he has. And that is like truly special. Like that is so unique. And when you really think about that, you're like, damn, like, you know what? I can't think of a better way to live. And so I, I, I've tried to really take that in and process it. And yeah, I miss him. So. Yeah. If we could all do more of that, the world would be a, a better place. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing your time with us. Some stories. Uh, you do have an amazing class on Creative Live around yeah. uh, making your way as an adventure photographer and getting started in photography generally. I want to give another shout out to your most recent book called Wayward. Highly recommended out of Abrams of Photography. And there's stunning, some brilliant, fun, and sometimes funny stories. Um, <laughs> is, is there anywhere is there anywhere else where you would you know want to direct people to learn more about you or your work? I know you're there in Pismo Beach, California, but uh, how about for people who don't live in Pismo Beach? Where where would you steer them? I mean, if you if, if I'm ever offering a workshop, come and join me. I love to I love to share real in life experiences with people. It's not often I do that, but but you know I, I I thrive on human connection. Like that's what I get off on. That's what I love. I I want to um, cultivate experiences where we can see something together and and make something and, and make something tangible. So. Yeah, I would say that, you know, obviously all the all the channels, my name's out there. You can find me. It's easy. But um, my, my dream, my hope is that I get to really interact with people in real time. So Awesome. Yeah. And uh, Instagram uh, is obviously a, a very easy follow and it's yeah. very inspiring. Again, Burkhard, B-U-R-K-A-R-D. Yep. Uh, for those out there curious. And thanks again. Congrats on the book. Um, and you're always welcome here. We love hearing your stories and uh, I consider you a good friend and I appreciate yeah. your time, but I hope you're, I hope uh, the, the book continues to go well and uh, thanks for inspiring us and so many others. Thanks brother. Appreciate it. All right. Until next time, everybody out there in the universe uh, from both Chris and I, we bid you all adieu. Cheers. All right. That's all for today's show. But hey, before you go, I want to say thank you for listening and also for engaging with the platform. Wherever you consume the show, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. Thank you so much. Reviews help a ton if you're willing to. And I want to let you know in an effort to continue the topics we explore here on the show, or if you have questions, you can always direct your comments to me on all my social feeds. I'm at Chase Jarvis everywhere. But also... I will see your message quicker if you shoot me a text. That's right. I can text directly with you. The best way is to hit me up at 206-309-5177. I get a lot of texts, so I can't always get back to you right in the moment. But trust me, those are my thumbs on the other end of the keyboard. So I want to say thanks so much, and I look forward to engaging with you soon.